Amen. All right. Oh, praise God. Today uh, starts a new series that we've been talking about for the last couple weeks, and it comes from a book that I actually read back in December. It was actually just released um, here in January, and I had gotten a copy of it because over the years, um, the Bevere family, John Bevere, Lisa Bevere, um, Addison Bevere, have written books, and as a church, we've used a lot of their resources. Um, undercover, honors reward, the bait of Satan, um, talking about offenses, talking about um, how to overcome the offenses, how to walk in honor in all of our relationships here on the earth. And so as a result of that, whenever there's a pre-release of a book, they sometimes will let us, who purchase a lot of materials from them, get those pre-releases. And um, I I ordered it, you know, Arden is the youngest of the Bavir boys, if you know the family at all, and I, when it first came out, I'm like, well, you know, young Arden, he's like 22 years old, you know, he wrote a book, um, well, and it was cheap, so I thought, you know, I love books, okay, um, and it came when I had COVID in December, and so I had been trying to read on my Kindle because I actually had longed to be in isolation. I didn't want to get COVID, but I wanted to be a close contact so that I could get one of those 10-day vacations at home where you can't go anywhere just because I wanted to read some books and just kind of relax and um, needed a break. But the timing was really poor um, back in December, right at Christmas time and right in the middle of this move. But uh, I got my wish, but it was hard to concentrate on my Kindle and so when this book came in the mail, I'm like, oh, it's a paper book. And so I'll read that because I never read paper books. Um, and honestly, I read through it and I'm like, I'm not going to write in it at all. And I got about halfway through the book and uh, I'm like, I need to write in this book. There is so much in this book. And I'm like, he's 22 and he wrote this book. This is like good stuff. Um, and so then I read through it and then I went back and I read it again and it was at that point that I realized I wanted to use this as a series when we got into this new location as a church because I wanted to do something that centered around our identity in Christ, who we are. Um, I believe that most of our problems come from forgetting who we are. And if you remember from the Trust the Story, when we looked at the book of Second Peter, I preached the sermon, Remember Who You Are. That is going to be um, an integral part of who we become as a church, as individual believers. Um, that's so important. And so I am going to quote a lot of the stuff from the book. And if you've read the chapters along with us, um, what I share on Sunday is going to be a supplement to the reading. I'm not just going to sit up here and read the chapter to you. But if something sounds really good and profound, just know I probably got it from the book. Uh, there's no way that I'm going to put every quotation up on the screen um, and so uh, I want to just make sure that I give credit to Arden. He's the one that uh, put this together and uh, put it out there for us. But if you don't have a copy of the book, I encourage you. Um, they're actually more than $15, but I discounted the price to $15. Um, and so the church is going to cover part of the cost of the book because we wanted to get it uh, into your hands. And so when he talking about labels, the first chapter, the first message uh, if you will, is called the power of a word, the power of a word. And um, when we talk about this idea of words or labels, 
he starts the chapter by reminding us that from the moment that we're born, people start speaking words over our lives. Um, whether there are relatives, whether there are teachers, whether there are peers, people will comment on our appearance, people will comment on our personalities, people will comment on our character, people will comment on our mannerisms, and so all of these things get spoken over us, and some of them are good, some of them are not so good, and some of them accumulate in our own minds and in our own hearts, and then they build this image of who we are or who we think we should be or who we think we are. And redefined is about allowing God's perspective to shape the view we have of ourselves. It's allowing God's perspective to shape the view that we have on other people. As a culture, we tend to focus on the failures, the shortcomings, and the mistakes, whether of ourselves or the people around us. And that keeps us stuck. In Peter's letter to the church, his first letter, he, told, he tells us that love covers a multitude of sins. That does not mean that as believers, if we love someone, we just pretend that they never sin or we just never bring up any bad characters. Um, but what Peter is getting at is God's love, that agape love, causes us to not define people by their actions but it causes us to define them by their potential, by what God speaks over their lives. Um, it, does, it doesn't mean that we never correct. It doesn't mean that our behavior doesn't matter. But our correction should be restorative, not retributive. Meaning our correction of others should not be because I'm ticked off by their behavior or because I think I'm better than them or because I want to just kind of put them in their place, it should be to correct them. And there's a difference in how we go about correction if it's for restoration's sake. In fact, in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul writes to the church and he says that those of you who are mature should restore those who are caught in sin, but do it gently. And so we have to be mindful that when we correct someone else, that as Jesus taught us, there is as much flaw in my life and in my corrective procedures as there is in the person I'm correcting. And I have to be careful how I walk about this. And so as children, we're taught that words really aren't that important. Um, and maybe it's because kids can sometimes be rather mean. Uh, adults can sometimes be rather mean, too, and we should know better. But uh, And so as a way to like help our kids not feel those labels, they say, well, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. Well, that's a lie because words do hurt us and words do shape us. And sometimes they shape us in ways we do not even know. The first quote that Arden gives us in the book from Pearl Hurd, I don't know who she is, but this is her quote. Handle them carefully for words have more power than atom bombs. He alludes to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. The tongue has the power of life and death. In James chapter 3, James tells us the tongue also is a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of our body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire from hell. So words are powerful. And as spirit-filled believers, we want to make sure our words, our identities, 
and the identities we put on others are shaped by God's word, not by our own eyesight or the things that we pick up, uh, our own suspicions in our own nature. To, to understand our identity, I want us to look at the nature of God to start with. Um, as we went through Trust the Story, we talked about how the Bible is a full book. It's a, um, it's a complete book. It's a complete revelation of who God is. And sometimes in our laziness or sometimes just in our desire to uh, get away with certain behaviors, we tend to pick and choose things that we want out of the Bible. And people do that with the character of God, too. And so form a character of who God is based upon some scriptures, but not based upon the total revelation of who God showed himself to be in the scripture. And so coming out of that series, that should make some sense to us. And the scripture teaches us that God is eternal. Eternal. What does that mean? Well, it means that God had no beginning and God has no end. He always existed. It also means God dwells outside of time. God existed before time existed. When God created the world, he created the sun and the moon and the stars. He created evening and morning. He created the clock, the time, the seasons. Before that, there was no time. And so as we went through Trust the Story, we talked about how Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. God has never had to deviate from his plan, his story that he's been writing. He's never had to change it. He's never had to alter it. He's never had to say, oh, I didn't expect that. What should I do next? His story was written before the foundation of the earth. Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the earth. You and I were chosen in Christ Jesus before the foundation of the earth. He did all of this because this was his plan. His plan was to have a people who belonged to him by choice, not by force. So he created man with a free will. He gave them dominion over the earth. He created them in his image, Genesis says. But we know that man chose to disobey, to rebel against God. And as a, a reason or as a, a result of that, what has happened is our image of God, our nature, has been marred by sin. Make no mistake, every human being on this planet has been made in the image of God, no matter how marred that image is by sin. And every single human being deserves dignity and value, not because of their behavior, not because of their actions, but because of the image of God that is ultimately stamped in them. And so we deal with people's actions and behaviors, but we do not allow them to dictate how we're going to treat them or how we're going to respond to them, or even ourselves. In Romans chapter 8, Paul is writing to the church in Rome, and he says, for those God foreknew, meaning he knew us before he created the earth. Crazy to think that God knew every human that would ever live on the planet totally, even down to the very hairs on our head being numbered, before he even said, let there be light. So when you think God needs our help, to solve the problems of our world, keep that in mind. He foreknew all of us. And out of that foreknowledge, he predestined to be conformed, he predestined us to be conformed to the image of his son, that we, or excuse me, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And so Paul uses that word predestined 
And that word sometimes makes us feel like God picked certain people for his team and he rejected other people. But the word foreknew just means God knows how we're going to respond to him even before we respond. And God has chosen every single human being that's ever been born on this planet. But God knows those who are going to choose him and those who are going to reject him. But he has a plan and purpose for every human being on this earth. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. So to get into this process of predestination, calling, justification, and glorification, we have to choose to to align ourselves with what God says in his word. We have to choose that he is the king of the universe and that he can be trusted. We have to choose that we can't, in and of ourselves, ever be made right with him. We have to choose that when Christ died, he died in our place. But he also died to make us right with God so that we can walk out the calling that he has for us. In the book of 1 Peter, again, from Trust the Story, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. This has been God's plan all along. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a whole lot of stuff packed into that one verse. But the first word, but, anytime there's a word but or there's a word therefore, there's something that has come before that, that this is a contrasting statement for. And if you go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, the people that Peter's describing are the people who live for themselves, the people who reject God's law, the people who reject what Christ did at the cross. Those people live a certain way, and are doomed for destruction. But, Peter says, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are God, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you can declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You are a chosen people, meaning God chose us. Even before we chose him, he chose us. And through the death of Jesus Christ, he makes us a royal priesthood. When Arden refers to the word prince or princess in the, the, the book that we're reading, that's what he's referring to. God has brought us into a kingdom. He did not bring us into a democratic republic. He brought us into a kingdom. And sometimes as Christians, we, we like to think that God's word or God's will is kind of up for debate and we get to choose. We do get to choose. We get to choose whether we want to come into the kingdom or whether we don't. And trust me, it's way better in the kingdom of light than it is in the kingdom of darkness. Because in the kingdom of darkness, we, get, we think we get to call our own shots. There's this deceptive nature that I can live however I want to live. I can pick whatever I want to pick. But the nature of sin is sin is always more destructive and more enslaving than we want it to be. And there will come a point in our lives where we want to say no to something and we no longer can say no because we do not have power over the sin that we've given ourselves over to. And God in his foreknowledge knew that, so he took the punishment, he took the sin, and he dealt with it at Calvary so you and I could come back into relationship with him as sons and daughters, as a royal priesthood. A people who are princes, princesses who are ruling, co-heirs with Jesus Christ in this kingdom, living out this kingdom so that others will come to know him. That's what a priest does. A priest makes representation between God and mankind. We declare his praises. That's who we are. We're a holy nation. Now that word holy sometimes 
depending on the church tradition you grew up in, sometimes gets a bad rap. But that word holy just means to be set apart. God is set apart. That means there is no other God like him. There is no one who even come close, comes close to who he is. He is good. He is just. He's fair. He's righteous. He's all these things. He is holy. He is set apart. And he calls us to be the same. He put his spirit in us. He dealt with our sin so that you and I could actually live out that calling, that relationship, that nature that he has. That's why Paul in Ephesians chapter 5 says, imitate God in everything you do, because it is possible. Now, if you've been saved for any length of time, you know that even though it is possible, it doesn't always happen. And we encounter people who have Christ in them, the hope of glory, who sometimes act more like the devil than they do Jesus. But here's the thing. We're all in the same boat. None of us, our salvation depends on Christ from start to finish. And we, we tend to look at other people and judge them by what we see, their actions. And then we tend to judge ourselves by our motives, what we intended. But in reality, there's none of us that could ever or will ever live up to the standard of holiness that God is. And so Jesus took care of that so that we won't live in shame or guilt, but neither will we live in laziness or apathy. We continue to press into it, and when we fail, we get up and we move forward. We don't get up and sulk, and we don't get up and live in shame and regret for a little while. We don't get up and take steps backwards. We get up and we press on. We admit we've done wrong. We repent of it. We walk towards Him. And the whole time, our relationship with God remains unchanged. The problem is our feelings don't remain unchanged. I feel distant from God because I've sinned. I feel distant from God because I, I lost my temper. I feel distant from God because I acted in a way contrary to the new nature He's given me. But the reality is, I have not changed in my status with Him because my status with Him is dependent upon Christ from start to finish. And if that is true for me... That is true for you. I don't mind it being true for me because I kind of want to let myself off the hook and I know the motives of my own heart, or at least I think I do. But I, I don't like it when it's true of other people because they hurt me or they've wronged someone that's close to me or they're doing something that I think is bringing shame on the kingdom of God. And it's hard for me to think of them differently. But in reality... If the blood of Jesus Christ from start to finish is all that we need for salvation, it's all that we need for salvation. The fear that we have when I make a statement like that is that in some way we're, people are going to like live in sin. Actually, if we fully get and understand this identity that we have in Christ, we're actually going to run from sin. It's actually going to cause us to flee from sin. As Heather alluded to from John chapter 15, Jesus said, remain in my love, not remain in my law, not remain in my, my you know, fear of me. I mean, the fear of the Lord is a, an important thing, but it's actually the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. It's actually the love of God that overcomes the shame, the guilt, the condemnation that actually keeps us entrapped in the life that we used to live. Jesus tried to teach us this in Matthew chapter 7. He said, do not judge or you too will be judged. And our society today 
they, we like to take that verse and we like to throw it out there and say, uh, see, you can't say that, that what I'm doing is wrong. Well, yeah, we can judge actions, but we can't ultimately label people. We can't label, I think I can look at people and decide who's in and who's out of the kingdom, but I guarantee you this, I'm going to be wrong. There are going to be people in the kingdom that I'm going to look at and say they are not in the kingdom. But they're in the kingdom. Their relationship with God is secure. And maybe they're failing and they're a miserable representation. But God is working in their lives. They're humbling themselves before him. But from a distance where I stand, they don't look like a believer. And there are other people that show up to church every single Sunday. And they lift their hands during the worship time. And they read their Bible every day. And they go through the motions. And I think, man, that person is in. But they had a life all that I didn't know about. And they weren't really submitted to the king. They were actually just kind of giving in and they were putting on a show for everybody else. So when Jesus says, do not judge, he's not talking about actions. He's talking about labels. He's talking about ultimately condemning someone and saying, well, here's where you are. In the same way you do that to others, that's what you will be judged with. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And remember, he was the one that always taught us to be merciful because that's how God's treated us. And as I'll remind you again, there's no one on this planet that needs God's mercy more than me. Remind yourself of that every day. So Jesus says, you hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye so that you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, Jesus is reminding us that in our lives, there are as many things that God wants to clean up and work out as there are in that person that I'm about to correct, that person that I'm actually trying to judge, that person that I'm saying, well, that person can't be in the kingdom because of that one thing they're doing. Because we as humans like to, we like to label our sins. We like to think that Um, Some sins are more damning than other sins, but ultimately to a holy God, sin is sin. And so whether it's impure sexuality or whether it's slander, it's all the same. Whether it's abortion or it's a lie, it's all sin. And we do not want to continue in any sin because, again, sin is more destructive and more enslaving than any of us wants it to be. So if we've been called into the kingdom of light, we live as children of light, not as children of darkness. That doesn't mean we're not going to make mistakes. We will not excuse those mistakes. We will not rationalize those mistakes. We will confess and repent of those mistakes, and we will pick ourselves up, and we will continue to walk on. Often... People will talk about the, the hands that shed innocent blood and how damning abortion is to our nation. And that's true. But so is the words that come out of our mouths, the slander, the gossip. That's just as damning. We talk about how homosexuality is so rampant in our society and God's word calls it an abomination and we should flee from it. Well, it's also so is sexual immorality. So is looking at pornography. So is living with someone who's not your spouse and engaging in any type of uh, sexual relationship. I mean, that's just as damning. It's still sin. Sin is sin because that's what God says is not his design. And so, but we look at it and we think, well, that person has got to be worse than me. But the person who's gone to church all their life, well, you know, they're working on that line. They're working on that gossip. We ought to deal with that the same way that we want the world to deal with their sin. The same way we look at that that other person and we look at their lives and we're like, well, that's a a sin I would never commit. doesn't matter if you would ever commit it. What sins are you 
committing. And we've been called to come out, not to be condemned, not to walk hunched over because we're, I mean, that's the point. It's Christ's sacrifice from start to finish. And so we live this out. We live from this place of what Christ has done for us, and we make sure that we let others know that we look at them that same way as well. That doesn't mean we don't help each other, encourage each other, call each other to a higher standard of living. That's the point of the body of Christ. But I do it recognizing there's just as many things wrong with me as there are wrong with you. And so as I come to you and I, I say, hey, I want us to talk about what's going on in your life, I want to recognize there's just as many things that the Holy Spirit wants to work out in my life that are just as enslaving as what I'm about to talk to you about. And when the church really begins to understand this, we will be merciful with each other. We will be gracious in how we correct and restore. We tend to want to shame people, especially when they commit the big ones. You know, if someone tells a lie, well, you know, that's not so. Yes, it is. It's just as bad. They're all bad, and we want to flee from all appearance of evil. So when we come to this idea of identity, this idea of calling, we want to make sure that we understand that it's who we are in Christ that determines our identity, our calling. And if we are not secure in who we are in Christ, who we are in the eyes of God, we will fall back into the labels that have been spoken over us by others or by ourselves. We will fall back into the patterns that we've become accustomed to because that's who we deem we are. When we understand who we are in Christ, we will no longer choose careers or relationships based upon the critical self-labels that we've always had, but upon who God has called us to be. And our relationships and our careers and our identity, our self-image will change based upon that. Arden begins to talk to us in chapter 1 about labels versus callings. And he goes back and forth telling us that labels limit us to how the world sees us. Labels limit us to who we've been in the past. Labels limit us to even who we are right now. The world can never see past who we've been and who we are. The way that you see into the future, the way that you see into the, the nature that is imprinted upon our hearts is only by the, the eyes of the Spirit of God. It's the only way to see it. Otherwise, people will always be the summation of what they've done in the past and what they're doing right now in their lifestyle. When Gideon was hiding in a wine press, threshing wheat, the Lord didn't walk up to him and said, Coward, I believe that you are going to be a, a mighty man of God if you choose the right path. No, the angel of the Lord walked in and said, greetings, mighty warrior. Because he didn't speak to who Gideon was in that moment. He spoke to who Gideon was called to be and what was imprinted upon his heart. It wasn't saying, hey, Gideon, it's okay that you cower here because your fear is, is totally justified. No, he called him to come out of that wine press and to start living like who God created him to be. And he spoke to that to draw him out. He didn't have to speak to the sin to draw him out of it. He had to speak to who he was called to be. And he spoke life to him and brought him out of the wine press. If you go through the scripture, that's generally how God reacts and responds and calls his people. He doesn't call them based upon their failures. He calls them based upon the calling that is on their lives. 
And that's how we actually deal with the failings of people. We remind them of who they've been called to be. But it's a whole lot easier for us to focus on the negative than on the positive. And if we actually call people to live according to who God has called them to be, we might find that they actually come out of the pit that they were in and we never even had to talk about the pit. No, not always. Sometimes we have to talk about the pit and we're not afraid to talk about that. But we want to speak to the calling that God has on people's lives. If we do not, if we speak to the things that we can see, it will always anchor us to the past. It will always hold us back from who we've been truly called to be because calling speaks to the future. In Ephesians, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a calling that God has put on your life, and that calling goes beyond any trauma, any pain, any mistake, any circumstance that you have lived in or you are currently in, and He has given you what you need to live out that calling. It's up to you to choose which identity you're going to believe. Who you've been or who He is calling you to be. Labels limit us. They disqualify us. Callings qualify and release us. Labels are temporary. Callings are eternal. Every single one of us who have put faith in Jesus Christ has become what the Apostle Paul calls a citizen of heaven. That doesn't mean that we just wait until we get to heaven. We've become citizens of the kingdom of heaven, which is already active on the earth. In Philippians chapter 3, this is where Paul writes it, For I have told you before, and I tell you again, even with many tears, many live as enemies of the cross. What does it mean to live as an enemy of the cross? Well, one, it means that you justify yourself by your behaviors and your actions, not by what Christ did for you. So you start thinking you're actually better than other people because you go to church, because you keep the commandments, because, or at least the list of commandments that you deem most important. And that, that that's becomes, and it's a subtle thing. It's not like we just wake up one day and we're like, well, I'm just going to become proud today. Um, pride kind of finds a way to creep into our lives. Uh, and if you think that without the Spirit of God that we can overcome the enemy, he is way smarter than any of us. And without the Spirit of God, we'll slip into negative thought patterns of pride that think, I don't, you know, I'm an enemy of the cross, even though I'm not actually saying I'm an enemy of the cross. I'm living self-justified instead of justified by what Christ has done. We live as enemies of the cross also by rejecting the new nature Christ has given us through the cross. So in other words, if I say, uh, yeah, I know that God's word says that I shouldn't behave that way, but, you know, I'm, I'm just human. You're an enemy of the cross because the cross actually put the spirit of God in you. And so, yes, you've made a mistake and yes, you've acted contrary to the new nature he's given you. But when the moment you justify and excuse it, you become an enemy of the cross. Because we've been called to live as the people of God and look at what he goes on to say. Their destiny, these people, is destruction. Their God is their stomach or whatever they desire and their glory is is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. By the way, earthly things can be religious things. 
They can be those self-justifying things. So they don't always just have to be things that are happening outside of church buildings. Uh, a lot of times we look at the word earthly things or worldly things, and we automatically think it's the people out there. But there are just as many earthly and worldly things involved in church world as there are in the, the world outside the doors, too. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a day when we fly away to be there. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Um, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, meaning he's coming here to set up a kingdom, and he has put his kingdom in us so we can start making preparations and we can start establishing his kingdom here on the earth right now. And guess what? We don't need laws to be passed to do it. We need to bring people into the kingdom so that God's laws are written on their hearts and they start choosing kingdom words, kingdom lifestyles, kingdom personalities, and they start living in the kingdom. Then it doesn't matter who the mayor is. It doesn't matter who the city commissioners are. It doesn't matter who the governor is. It doesn't matter who the president is because the kingdom can't be stopped when the kingdom is within us. And I don't need, I don't need laws around me to try to restrain me. What restrains me is the spirit of God living in me. And that's what we need to start releasing. Now I'm all for good Christian laws being passed, but guys, that's not going to win the people. In fact, that actually irritates and makes them even more angry. It's actually counterproductive to building the kingdom. I know that sounds terrible, but I, I don't want us to stop because that would be crazy and that would be a free-for-all. But Paul talks about his citizenship in Acts chapter 22, and I didn't put this on the screen, but um, Arden alludes to it in the chapter. If you remember the time that Paul was going to be whipped for being uh, a Jew, and the, he says to the Roman guard that's about to whip him, do you dare whip a Roman citizen without giving him a trial? Ooh. See, there are rights and privileges that came with Roman citizenship. And in that moment, the centurion becomes a little nervous because he didn't realize that Paul was a citizen. And he says to Paul, you know, I paid a high price for my citizenship. And Paul says, I was born a citizen. And so these rights and privileges, then their story changes. They release him. They apologize. They're like, um... You know, we're sorry we didn't realize you were a Roman citizen. And it's not that you and I are called to demand our rights as earthly citizens, but we are called to know and walk in the authority of our rights as sons and daughters of God. We do not have to stay in the, the pattern of living that we have been accustomed to. We do not have to be labeled as what we've been labeled in the past. We can live as sons and daughters of God. Because in 1 Corinthians, Paul tells us that anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. All things have passed away. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's important that we know our identity in Christ Jesus. In Matthew chapter 4, Jesus, after being born as a human, living 30 years in his parents' house, being baptized by John, gets led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, this is what it says. The tempter comes to him and says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you are the Son of God. That's a temptation that you and I are going to face very often. Not to turn stones into bread. 
but to act in a way that serves ourselves, to use an empty display of selfishness and power to prove our identity rather than living from our identity. See, Jesus could have turned the stones into bread. It wasn't about whether or not turning stones into bread is a sin. In fact, if you were in a third world country and the Holy Spirit came and said, hey, I want you to turn those stones into bread and feed people, you could do it. It's not the action that's the sin. The sin is acting to prove your identity versus acting from your identity. It's self-righteousness versus justified by the word of God. What do, I, what do I mean by that? We've got to back up to Matthew chapter 3. Jesus comes to John to be baptized. And John's like, dude, I should be baptized by you. Because John recognizes who Jesus is. He's the Messiah. I don't have the right to be baptized by you. But Jesus says, it is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. See, Jesus has just established for us what it takes to be justified with God. Now, ultimately, we needed his blood to cover us, but when we come to God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, and He speaks justification over us. When we are baptized and the Holy Spirit comes into our lives, we are justified before God. And if we spend our time from that moment on trying to prove our justification rather than living from our justification, it will take us down a road of self-justification and pride. That's a dangerous road to walk. That's what Jesus is modeling for us in the stones becoming bread. Responding rather re responding out of our insecurity than responding out of the confidence that we have in Christ. And we're tempted to do that every single day. When people say things about us, when circumstances happen at work that, we're, that are a little bit out of our control, we're tempted to respond out of our insecurity rather than responding out of the confidence that we have in Christ Jesus. And it's hard not to respond out of our insecurity because a lot of the times... It, it seems right. A lot of the times those people that are, are calling us names or those people that are reminding us of our past mistakes or even reminding us of this mistake we just made, yeah, they're not wrong, but they're not right either. Wait a minute, how can you not be wrong or right? Because right is who we are in Christ Jesus, even in the moment when I act less like him than I should. That's the difference between living out of those righteousness, those, our righteousness in Christ and living from the righteousness in Christ. The last part of the chapter that Arden goes into is the power of community. And I'm not going to take time to go into it today. I hope you take time to read it because he goes back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11 to illustrate the power of community. As a church for Restoration Church, I hope that we start to understand what it is to know our identity in Christ, to live from our identity in Christ, and to speak identity over the people around us, to begin to call out what God has put in their lives. Um, I don't believe we have to wait for people to be believers to see what God has put in people's lives and call it out. But you can't do it by yourself. 
you're going to have to do it led by the Spirit of God. And it doesn't mean you ever justify someone's behavior. We, it's not up to me to justify anybody's behavior. It's up to me to call them out of the way that they're living and call them into what God is, is pointing them toward. And sometimes we do that in a positive way rather than a negative way. See, we've been taught that we tell people the first thing we have to start with is you've sinned. But if you start to call people into what God has called them into, the recognition of sin is going to be there. Because the Holy Spirit is going to start convicting them because that's right. Remember, God is eternal. Okay, He dwells outside of time so He can see everything. He's also put eternity in our hearts. Again, for those of you that might have been asleep and might want to misunderstand what I just said, I'm not saying we never talk about sin again. But for the most part, that's all we've talked about in the body of Christ. And it's time to start calling people into what God has called them into, not just what they need to leave. Because some of us are sometimes just as guilty in our daily lives of sin as the people in the world. The only difference is I have the sacrifice of Christ to cover me and empower me, and they don't. So as a church, I hope that we get this understanding in, a, in such a way because if we do, the power of unity, the power of speaking with one voice is such a, a powerful thing that I think we could actually change the entire culture of a community. Anybody think that? I think we could change the entire culture of, of a region. I think people, I mean, we've seen a little bit the way people have moved. I don't know if you've met any of them. I've met two different people that have moved to South Dakota during COVID because they like the way our governor does things versus their governor. That's great. But I would rather people move to this area because the kingdom of God rules and reigns and they like that. Because that's not just temporary. I mean, the COVID restrictions, the way governors act, that's temporary. But the kingdom is eternal. And that's what we're going to talk about over the next couple of weeks but for you to come into your calling, your identity in Christ, the first step is coming to Christ. The first step is to recognize that God is so set apart that you cannot be right with him apart from what Christ did with you. And so the first step, they used to tell us that salvation is easy. It's ABC. The first step is to admit that I can't do it. I always fall short. No matter how hard I try, I will fall short. And some of you today maybe have been in church for 50 years, and you've really never admitted that no matter how hard I try, I'm going to keep falling short. No matter how hard I try, I have to keep believing in what Christ did for me because that's the only way. And then that commitment to follow Him as a son or daughter, to follow His ways in our lives, not to make excuses for them, not to just say, well, you know, I'm better than that person. That person's not the standard. God is. And when we compare ourselves to that standard, we need his sacrifice. We always fall short. So if you're here today, you're watching online, I challenge you, take that first step. Admit that you've sinned. Admit that you can't measure up. Believe in what Christ did for you. And then commit yourself to walking in that calling that he has for you. I want to read one last verse before I pray with you. It comes from Romans chapter 12. Therefore, 
I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, reminding us that He's never treated us as our sins deserve, so in view of His mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, set apart and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world or even religion, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, his perspective. So you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Father, thank you today for all that you have done for us. Thank you that when we were your enemies, Christ died for us. Thank you that he made a way for us to come back into relationship with you. And God, I recognize that today there are so many of us that are in different places. There are those today that have not even begun a relationship with you. There are those today that have begun that relationship, but yet they continue to walk in their own self-effort and self-righteousness. God, there are those today that continue to try hard, but they continue to, to, to live under that cloud of shame and guilt and condemnation. And God, there are so many degrees of where we are in this journey. But Holy Spirit, I pray for clarity over these next few weeks that you would help us to see our identity as sons and daughters of God in a way we never have before. Help us to recognize all that his death has made available to us. And help us to live out our calling as sons and daughters. God, not to give ourselves anymore to the, the temptations of our flesh, the desires of our sinful nature. But God, to lay those things aside, to be willing to lay aside everything that hinders us and to pursue that calling that you've put on our lives. God, all around us in this community, there are people that need to know that they've been called out of darkness into your marvelous light. And Holy Spirit, I pray for us as a church that you would help us to know and live and walk in that identity as sons and daughters of God. That you'd give us eyes to see it. Even when people aren't acting the way that that nature should cause them to act, God, help us to speak to what you see. God, help us to call out the calling, the identity that lives on the inside of them. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this without you. We need your help. We need your help to see it in our own lives. We need your help to see it in the lives of those around us. So over these next few weeks, Holy Spirit, as we study this together, mold us and shape us as individuals and as a body. Set us apart as a people declaring your praises that you've called us out of darkness into your wonderful light. Restoration Church, you belong to a chosen generation. You are part of a royal family. You are a prince. You are a princess set apart and special to God. You have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light, plans, and purpose.
purposes. Go in God's grace and live it out. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for being here today. And uh, if you haven't picked up a copy of the book, again, I encourage you to do it. And uh, read along with us. We'll be reading, this was chapter one. We'll read chapter two for next Sunday. God bless you as you go. Our hosts will come and dismiss from front to back um, so that you can stay a little bit distanced. And we encourage you when you can't to wear a mask. God bless you as you go.